sick of the sound of my own voice. I never thought I'd say that. Will you just shut up about follies? For <laughs> once. <laughs> okay, are we ready? Right. <clears throat> yeah, we're ready. Theatre Legends. Hello. Hello. Welcome to Theatre Legends, the theatre podcast for, for legends. legends. I'm Rebecca Humphreys, and joining me as per is Sam Swan. Hello. It's me. Hi. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, you're right. I wasn't listening to you then. Weren't you? No, I spoke over you. <laughs> Terrible actor. Listen and respond. Yeah, yeah. Are you all right? Yeah, I'm fine, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Sam just told me that he hadn't seen a single theatre show since Edinburgh. <laughs> Yeah, I haven't, and I feel it's great. Podcast, isn't it? Yeah, it's really good for theatre legends. Um, You're such an expert. <laughs> yeah. Um, so sorry, I'll just sort of bring my theoretical opinions. That's, that's all right because um, the next thing you're seeing is something that you saw in Edinburgh for the second time. Yeah, Hot Gay Time Machine. I will never stop seeing that show because it's the best. At the other palace. Um. Oh God. Yeah. Actually, that that can be my one good thing next time. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. But it sort of will be all the good things. The show. Yeah. Yeah. Stay tuned. Please. You want to know what Hot Gay Time Machine is? Why wouldn't you? I mean, yeah. it's probably the best title it's, of all time. It's called Hot Gay Time Machine. Yeah, yeah, Hot absolutely. Gay Time Machine. No, it, okay, no, no. save it. Save it, save it. Well, yes, I'm very well as well, thanks. Yeah, no. Not really, yeah, thanks for asking. I'm yeah. not, not really good <laughs> up to very much. You're um, a bit ill, aren't you? Oh, yeah, I'm sick. It's fucking annoying. And it's also incredibly unjust. I've spoken about some podcasts before. <laughs> I hate getting sick because I try so hard not to get sick. Mm. It just feels like... <sighs> I never get sick and I don't put any effort in. Good. So, <laughs> just <laughs> to make you feel good. Thanks very much. Cheers. Um, yeah, not very well. I am working on a new show, so I'm doing that with my time, which is very nice. I'm trying to be productive. Mm. I've got my show all sorted out. I'm doing, I'm doing things that, within my free time where I'm not acting, I can still have a, a, a handle on what my job is. Mm. Well, I think you've been smashing it. I hope you're resting as well with Winston. I mean, that's probably too much. No. Oh, I'm doing it. That's what I'm doing. I'm doing an arts council application at the moment. Oh, God, that'll make anyone ill. It is a ball ache. <laughs> so boring. There is so much to write and so much to write about yourself and your achievements that feels a bit grim. <laughs> yeah, but the revolution comes through admin. And I think we should do a podcast on that at some point. About, about acting admin. Acting admin that's and a great idea. general stuff because it's the sort of thing where, you know, you. We might identify mostly as creatives, but ultimately it's a hell of a lot of boring stuff and the real the real shit gets done through admin. Yeah, you're absolutely boring, right. boring we stuff. We should do one on that actually. Mm. I'm quite looking forward to that because yeah. there is something intensely satisfying about getting admin done um, in a way that sometimes like you, you just don't get it from a day in the rehearsal room. No. It's not the same feeling. But we'll save that for another we'll part. We'll save it, we'll save it. Okay. Theatre News. Theatre News, please. The cast has been announced for... Oh, this is a great bit of Theatre News. <laughs> actually, isn't isn't as sort of like high profile perhaps as some of the other Theatre News that's happening. Yeah. But I really wanted to include it. The cast has been announced for the world premiere of Banana Man, the musical. Banana Man. Yeah, Banana Man, which comes <laughs> to the Southwark Playhouse in December. Matthew McKenna from the Phantom of the Opera, Sunset Boulevard, and We Will Rock You, will assumes rock you. the mantle of the titular superhero <laughs> and resident of Acacia Road. There was an Acacia Road in Norwich when I was growing up, uh, when I was very young, and obviously I was, it, you know, I'd be in the car going for it and be like, Banana Man, <laughs> Anyway, Matthew McKenna is joined by Mark Pickering, who plays Banana Man, arch nemesis, Dr. Bloom. <sighs> What fantastic character name. so good. Dr. Bloom, Banana Man. There's another guy called Eric Wimp. <laughs> <laughs> what sort of character is he? Oh, I don't know. Probably just some, like, legend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Eric Wimp. <laughs> also in the cast are Jenny Jacobs, Mark Newman. Oh, no, it's not Newman. It's Newham. Newnham? Newnham. It's Newham and Newman combined. Mixed together, yeah. Newnham. <laughs> and Carl Mulaney. Just laughing at his name. Oh, God. <laughs> I am ill. Leon Paris's musical based on the 1980 Nutty comic and the TV cartoon which ran between 1983 and 1986, I mean, that's neither here nor there, will be directed by Mark Perry with set design from Mike Leopold. Important information, Banana Man runs at the Southwark Playhouse from the 4th of January to the 20th of January. Not a long run for a musical. Oh, with previews from the 15th of December. So, shitloads of previews. Shitloads of previews. Uh, That sounds great. Southwark Playhouse. That's more previews than shows. Yeah. In a way. Interesting. Are they planning for some sort of transfer? Seems like it. Yeah. You'd hope so for Banana Man. That many previews for Banana Man. For Banana Man, you're like, well, that's gonna, that's clearly gonna do well. But anyway, catch it at Southwark Playhouse because that's that's fun, isn't it? It's very fun. What a laugh. 
the Donmar have announced their new season, beginning with the UK premiere of Amy Herzog's acclaimed Belleville in uh, December. I was about to say, how is it acclaimed if it's a premiere, but it's only a UK premiere, isn't it? Oh, is it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Michael Longhurst, he's directing it. Lovely. Um, for the first time with an incredible young cast, all making their Donmar debuts. Lovely. Yeah. Fine. Faith uh, Allaby, Malachi Kirby, James Norton and Imogen Poots. Malachi Kirby, who was a kind of supernumerary in My First Job. Stop it, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. And what a legend, good for him. He has been killing it since. He played um, uh, he played the lead in Roots, the TV show. Oh, stop it. And just an absolute legend. Oh, like, nice. So Poots sick. as well. Uh, she, uh, she was ever so good, I thought, and he's afraid of Virginia Woolf from the West End. Mm. She was in that, She's yeah. She's fit as well. <laughs> and, um, as is James Norton indeed who uh, I know because if anyone knows about the mono box which is absolutely brilliant and who we still need to interview really Polly Bennett yeah for um, they had a fundraiser last year and one of the prizes was to have a date on the set of Grantchester with James Norton and get you know go for, t- for lunch with him and like just be in and around the set as did you win that guest. <laughs> imagine, <laughs> imagine it's like Tom Bowen and I won that and I'm there to be like hi James I sort of know him it's me um, but there ended up being a mental bidding war by two people who had literally bought tickets to the fundraiser in order to bid and it, it went for something fucking mental in the end wow like over three grand £30,000 for the monobox yeah I mean, imagine it wasn't that much so now you've made it sound shit yeah, but yeah, like yeah. It, was, it was huge and I was like, I had no idea that he was such a big deal, but like, they were super fun. Yeah, super fun. Well, I hope they had a nice time anyway. Oh, yeah. They had a lovely For lunch. their £3,000. I mean, it's a lot. God. In the end, the bidding was going so mental that it started to get awkward um, because people were sort of aware that it was getting to a point where it wasn't really worth <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's not we were, really like, worth that. He's sort of just a friend of someone there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in the end, they said, look, we're going to say that you both pay, instead of this going mad and one person paying loads, what about we stop here and you both pay that and we'll ask James kindly if he would mind doing two. Yeah. And he was like, no, Actually, one no, or it nothing. Wasn't two. It wasn't two. It was if he'd mind them both going together. And um, and I was like, wouldn't you be a bit gutted if you just wanted a one-on-one experience with yeah. James and like suddenly you've got some other super fan there and you're just oh, going to outfan fuck. each other all day <laughs> and it might just be weird. But anyway, all's well that ends well. And they yeah. both got their time with James. So well done them. And anyway, he's going to be at the Donmar soon. Great success. And so, yeah, that starts in December. Yes. Um, and the next one is Donmar associate Rob Hastie will direct Peter Gill's influential and touching, and touching, play The York Realist. Did that in our final year at Lambda? We did, yeah. I mean, we didn't, but... No, we weren't in it. It was someone, done. Someone did. Um, casting has just been announced. They are Ben Batt, Leslie Nicholl, Jonathan Bailey, Lucy Black, Brian Fletcher, Katie West, and Matthew Wilson, who we know from Lambda, who is such a nice man. Awesome. He's fantastic as well. Legend. I think that's going to be quite good. I like the York Realist, famously. Do you know what it's about? I can't, really, I can't really remember it. It's about some right lovely blood... No, it was, it, was, it was right moody from York. <laughs> and he was right moody and weren't sensitive at all but he got involved with the amateur dramatic society and then like this director from london who's all kinds of fabulous and like really in touch with himself and what it is to be a creative and an actor brought him out of his shell and turned him into a massive gay and turned him into a gay probably gay all along he just couldn't confront it but like <laughs> but that's what happens the story isn't that he sort of falls in love with this guy and then but it's about him and his family and oh. how some families can't communicate like that and it's just not it's not that simple for everyone it's not that it? simple okay sounds nice anyway what's happening next at the dog after that um, and then we've got James McDonald mm. acclaimed director mm. directing William Congreve's The Way of the World in March it'll star Linda Bassett as Lady Wishfort Ooh. sort of sounds like the sort of thing that I absolutely don't want to see yeah I know doesn't it but James McDonald's very good though James McDonald's really good uh, Linda Bassett's really good. Who's that? Uh, she was in East is East. That's the one that I remember. Okay. Did you ever see East is East? No, no. Are you joking? Wait, it's as in the, 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 film. the film? Yeah. I think, like, so long ago that I can't remember it's anything about so it. so good. The film is mm. so good. She was in the original cast of like, the Royal Court of it. Fair play to her. Um, she's lovely. Anyway, moving on. The Old Vic have announced its 2018 season and they're all new works. That's good, isn't it? All new works. All new. After Alan Akebourne's previously announced two-part epic, The Divide, in February, which is a transfer from Edinburgh, um, that 
went really badly in Edinburgh. I got a lot of one-star reviews, um, and it sort of had to transfer to the old Vic because they were in association with it by that point. So it's all yeah. a bit weird. They're presumably going to have to do a fucking massive reworking of it because they're two parts, and each part is three hours. Oh God. Um, which you don't. I mean, who's gonna who's gonna go to that if it's just got one star reviews? Yeah. Anyway. But at least it's really long. <laughs> <laughs> at least, uh, at least it's definitely going to the old Vic. Yeah. Um, they're gonna have to rework it. Anyway, that's not that's neither here nor there. Um, it will be followed by the world stage premiere of Ingmar Bergman's Fanny and Alexander. Great title. From the 1st of March to the 14th of April. Adapted by Stephen Beresford and directed by Max Webster. The play is based on the 1982 film, which won four Academy Awards. Don't know what for. Stephen Beresford, <clears throat> the writer, he wrote uh, Last of the Housemans, oh! which we both thought was very good as it well. Is, yeah. Set in 1900s Sweden. <laughs> got a nice ring to it, hasn't it? It tells of two siblings whose world is turned upside down when their widowed mother remarries. Mm. Looks good. Mm. Film adaptation. There's another one coming up as well. Let's do some more. Some more from the Olvic. More from the Olvic. Uh, in April, yeah. we're looking ahead, aren't we? Uh, yeah, we are at the moment. Say what you like about Theatre Legends, but we're forward thinking. We are, and also quite a lot of people have announced their new seasons, which I always find quite exciting to remember mm. what they might be about. And then be disappointed when yeah, they're never just, as good as... Or just forget about them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So in April, Rob... Nailed it. So in April, Roger Michelle will direct the world premiere of Joe Pennell's Mood Music, which goes from 2nd of May to 30th of June. Uh, the piece by the writer of Sunny Afternoon and Blue Orange takes place in a London recording studio where two songwriters, their lawyers and their psychotherapists go to battle over music. That sounds good. That's cool. Over mu- as in there's music playing over the top of it, or like they're battling over the music? Can we both. Both? Yes! Both. Um, in a co-production with the Bristol Old Vic, Sally Cookson will direct the world premiere of production of A Monster Calls from 17th July to 25th of August. God, we are looking forward. Mm. Patrick Ness's 2011 novel, which was adapted into a feature film starring Sigourney Weaver and Liam Neeson last year, tells of a boy who is visited by a monster in the middle of the night as he struggles to cope with his mother's terminal cancer. I mean, WTF, that sounds so good. Um, I actually saw the film, and I remember thinking this would make a really good piece of theatre. Mm. And she looks like Sally Cook's and the old bit. have had the same idea. Same idea. Isn't it? Always on the same page, yeah, yeah. Should have been, been quicker, shouldn't I? Next. <laughs> um, so the final production in Warchus, that's Matthew Warchus to mm. you and I, um, he's the artistic director of the old bit, yeah. his uh, third season at the venue will be Sylvia from the 6th to the 22nd of September. Mm-hmm. A new musical dance production by Old Vic associate artist Katie Prince. Written by Prince... By Prince? I think that's as in Katie her surname. Katie Prince, not by, not Imagine. by Prince. Who's come back from the dead. <laughs> yeah, to, to write this. To do a play at the Old Vic. Uh, so yeah, it's written by Prince. The artist formerly known as Prince. And uh, Priya Palmer. Prince, yeah. Prince. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the production will have music by Josh Cohen and DJ Wald. What? And will combine hip hop, soul, and funk. Fine. Through celebrating the life of women's rights campaigner Sylvia Pankhurst, Sylvia will shed new light on the heart of the suffragette movement. I think I want to be in that, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with, I'm, I'm really with music by Prince as well. Are you fucking kidding me? Well, the music's not even by Prince. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Music's not even by Prince. The script is written by Prince. Whoa. Whoa. Intense. Anyway, Away from the venue, Emma Rice's production of Noel Coward's Brief Encounter returns and will run at the Empire Cinema in London's West End from 2nd of March 2018. I just think that that always looked really good and I can't believe I didn't see it. Yeah, me too. Was it Knee High? Yes. Yeah, Knee High's Brief Encounter. I mean, I I sort of always wanted to see that, so I'm excited. Yeah, me too. Um, I need to tell you our final bit of information um, about... It's a long theatre news, isn't it? Yeah, but there's a lot. There's loads going on. And and actually, quite a lot of it sounds good. Sounds good, yeah. Um, I'm going to tell you uh, exactly how I told Sam before we started the podcast. Uh, What the fuck? Have you heard Freddie Flintoff's in a play? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly how I said that. And I was like, I just have to, um, I just had to, to say it that way. And I'll do it officially. Freddie Flintoff is in rehearsals for the upcoming production of Fat Friends with Jodie Prenger, Natasha Hamilton, Natalie Anderson, Sam Bailey, Elaine C. Smith and Kevin Kennedy. The show Kev mar- Ken. Yeah. The show marks Flintoff's stage debut and is written by and written and directed by BAFTA winning Kay Meller with original music from Nicholas Lloyd Webber. No relation of. He will be a relation of, yeah. Fat Friends is based on a TV show of the same name. The musical It was a great show. I mean, I was about to get onto that. Because it was fucking amazing yeah, and yeah, seminal. Yeah, 
James Corden's like made him. It's what um, introduced James Corden and Ruth Jones to each other. So. Then they wrote Gavin and Stacey, and the rest, as they say, is history. History. Um, <laughs> it's set in a swimming club in Leeds and sees the captains put through modern weight loss techniques. I mean, that is that is really like undermining what <laughs> the show is about. About them going through modern weight loss. I mean, it was so sad that show. Yeah. Anyway. I loved that, it. I found it inspirational as I a formerly fat person as well. Of course, as a fat kid. Uh, do you think? Can we put a picture alongside? The, yeah, we should, and it should be the picture of me fat playing on my Game Boy. Yeah, I mean, definitely. Great. Fat Friends runs at Leeds Grand from second of November to second of December, and then tours to Bromley, Newcastle, Hull, Southampton, Sheffield, Southend, Milton Keynes, Norwich, woo, Manchester, <laughs> Nottingham, Birmingham, <laughs> Dartford, Edinburgh, Cardiff. <laughs> Fucking else is a long tour. Glasgow, Belfast, Bradford, Aberdeen, and Blackpool. I mean. It's going all I mean, over the shop. Bloody hell. I hope Freddie knows what he's letting himself yeah, in for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good I mean, old Freddie. That's a long tour. Not even his name. It's amazing. I wonder, do they call him Andrew or Freddie in the room? Why isn't it his real name? Because he literally called Freddie because his surname was a bit like Flintstone. Are you for real? <laughs> that's serious, yeah. His, name, his name's Andrew Flintoff, yeah. <laughs> I mean... I mean it's I mean, amazing. In a, in a way, he's got a stage name before he even... <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Like, Good luck to him. Anyway, that's I it. just, I just love, oh, I love that so much. It's great. It's a great tidbit. It's just, Thanks it's, so much. it's so good. And the fact that he's like, you know, I hate star casting and all that sort of stuff. But this, for some reason, I forgive it. Because it's so stupid. It's so dumb. It's taking star casting to its like logical conclusion. It's not I hope. It's incredible. I hope he's fucking brilliant. I bet he is. Have you heard his Desert Island Discs? No. Oh, he's brilliant. He just sounds like absolutely brilliant. Why? Love him. Sense. Just like. All the banter, but a little bit sad. Just amazing. That's, what desert, desert, that's exactly what you want. That was theatre news. Yay. <laughs> that, was, that was mad, that was wasn't epic, it? Yeah. That was mad and epic. But I love it when we do a, um, a new season announcement. Yeah. I find it really exciting. Yeah. Now it's time for one good thing. One good thing. Hello, it's me again. Remember yeah, it's you, yeah, yeah. I've yeah. previously mentioned it. <laughs> I haven't seen anything since we got back from No, America. and it's and been brilliant. all the stuff. Yeah, you have. And a lot of it's been quite good. Yeah. And this week is no exception. So what was your one good thing then, Bex? Do you want to know what the show was first? Yeah, what was the one good <laughs> thing in the show that you saw? What was the, what was the show that you saw? <laughs> there we go, work it backwards. The show that I saw was beginning at London's National Theatre, Dorfman Theatre. Mm. Um, so what was the one good thing in beginnings? <laughs> beginnings? Beginning. Beginning. Yeah, just one. Just one. Um, because it's about one story. So, so it makes sense. Um, it, it's very hard to pinpoint the one good thing because I really enjoyed the show and I should say that uh, the reason I went to see it was because it stars a friend of mine, Justine Mitchell. So I knew I was going to go and see it before that even happened because of the two-hander with her and Sam Troughton. And I was like, well, two actors, what can go wrong really? And um, worth knowing though that since I had booked my tickets, press night happened and it got five stars from pretty much everywhere. And it's David Aldridge's new play, five stars from everywhere, simple story, an hour and 40 minutes straight through, set in real time, rom-com. Lovely. Absolutely lovely. But the one good thing that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say is the direction. And that was attributed to Polly Finlay, because she was a director. <laughs> <laughs> the director was attributed That's to her. Right. Yeah. Because she was the she director. Was, yeah. 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 <laughs> well, I mean, what I mean by that is it's quite hard to blur the lines, isn't it? Because yeah, it at is. At the same time, is. like... There's only two actors, so there would have been a lot of collaboration, presumably, in that rehearsal room, even if I hadn't known that there definitely was, because yeah. Justine said so. Um, but... But then certain directors don't foster collaboration as part of it, so... Absolutely, yeah. And the, and also the script is really amazing by David Eldridge, because the beats and the units are so clear. But ultimately, the reason that I thought it was so good, um, why, why it is my one good thing, um, is because... It's an hour and 40 minutes, straight through, real time, with two people. And that is a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing because it has the opportunity to really hold a, uh, hold a window up to, to a real life scenario. And it's a curse because it is unforgiving mm. in that, because it can be boring, uh, unrealistic. It, Anytime you try and draw a parallel with real life and naturalism, it has the potential for it to, because it's on a stage and because it isn't, it isn't real life, for it to not look naturalistic mm-hmm. and look theatrical and for something to jar in that sense. Um, I mean, the, the boringness speaks for itself. 
if something is naturalistic, it could be boring, especially yeah. if it's in real time over an hour and 40. I mean, enough said, but it wasn't. It was really clear. The, the beats and the units of it, as I've mentioned, were really clear. The shifts in tone were subtle and interesting, while also um, big enough for you to feel like something completely different is happening. At yeah, yeah, moment. yeah. And the nuance of it was was beautifully acted by Justine and Sam, and it feel you know it just felt to me like it was it was masterful in its direction because it was all so it was so real, but it was but everything felt so different. It felt like it progressed. It felt like it was you know had these lovely gear shifts that just happened. Just it would just take a one eighty turn all of a sudden, and then we'd just suddenly be making a fish finger sandwich, which is what happens at one point, <laughs> where nothing's really spoken about, um, and then they're sitting suddenly eating a fish finger sandwich, and then everything's spoken about, and it was just yeah, it was lovely. So how do we do that when we make work? I talk a lot about theatricality on this, and how much I love theatricality, and it turns out that the things that I really really like about theatre are either stuff that goes, isn't this hum- like follies? Isn't this humongous and overwhelming and about something that's not about your you or your life at all and it has people tap dancing in it, but at the same time you go, I understand what that I am moved by this because it has something to do with something I relate to in some way that could can be abstract. Yeah. Or stuff that is so in a way I don't want to use on the nose because on the nose sounds negative and I don't mean it to be negative, but it's it is going I see this situation and I have perhaps been in exactly this situation and I'm enjoying it because I relate to it on on such a simple, simplistic level. Mm. And for those types of theatre, what we can learn from the beginning and from the direction of it is really like allowing yourself to go there and to be connected to it as an actor, as a creative not being afraid of actually connecting to something something I spoke to you about as well is that it was I know Justine and I know that she was using so much of herself in that performance and in that production as well as inhabiting a character mm-hmm. and Sam I mean me and Sean met Sam Triton for the first time after the show <laughs> and we both made the mistake of assuming that his character would be exactly like him <laughs> which it wasn't at all not at all um, and I fell, <laughs> I fell in love with that character. I mean, like, he was, it was such a beautiful character and person. And he's just an ugly... And he's just awful <laughs> in real life, you know. Um, no, he was very nice, but he was just, he was obviously just much more cool and, and like... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Much more cool and, um, and laid back and chilled. And we just sort of expect him to be this sort of bundle of nerve, nervous energy mm. like he was on stage. And it was such a, it was such a big character choice on reflection for him. But it wasn't. It was just. It just felt real. So what I'm saying is, I suppose that what we can learn from it, and what we can what we can take from it, is sort of encouraging ourselves to be honest with the situation and with ourselves, and, and using bits of us that are relevant to the production, but also the bits that aren't relevant. You know, we're we're allowed to, to take character and to take pretend, <laughs> and to the bits that if we just use ourselves would be boring. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah. 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 Definitely. I I think also from what it sounds like, it's like a commitment to form and a commitment to theatricality. Like, you are putting on a play, and even when you're doing a naturalistic play, something that we see time and again is TV performances on stage, and they have no place there in any sort of way. That's something that I've really learned as well, as an actor, I have to say, like, throughout my career. Like, I used to think that was was the best kind of acting. Yeah, yeah, me too. Just little and small and intimate and... You and know, it's got its place. It has got its place, and it, and you know, and, and but what you can do is if you're like if you're an expert, if you become an expert, you know, um, that that just doesn't work for an entire production because it is on theatre. But if you're clever about it, you can use those moments that are small, that are you know, slight and intimate. Mm. You can pepper them in, and that is great acting because it's best craftsmanship, isn't it? That's yeah. like literally craftsman in deciding like what should be big and small and like yeah. using it even in those kind of terms and that definitely happens in that in, in the beginning yeah we should um at some point for another pod discuss my theories on acting the sophisticated showing off school of acting yeah 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 we should it's it's it's, it's certainly a school of thought <laughs> yeah 
Well, I think for this, and like with, <clears throat> not to talk about follies again, but... Oh, um, God, no. Like... I was saying to Sam, like, I'm sorry, everyone, about that last podcast. Like, I listened to it, and I was like, God, will you fucking shut up, <laughs> We get it. You liked it. Okay. But it was a commitment to form, and mm. just like this, when it's naturalistic, do not assume that, it, you know, naturalistic stuff is not easy. Look at the beats, see what the changes are, and uh-huh. like you say, things can turn on a sixpence, and that you're making sure that you're playing those shifts and you're playing those That's events. That's it, it's playing the shifts. It's by, the, by Polly encouraging the shifts. Yeah. Pushing them. and Because it's boring them, otherwise. Exactly. Some of them felt so dramatic in their shift mm. that they never felt, they never jarred. Whereas in a rehearsal room, as an actor, you're, you're, if you were just left on your own to your own devices as an actor, it would be very easy to just, like, because it's so naturalistically written, to not play them mm. and to just have a conversation for an hour and 40 minutes, which in and of itself is absolutely fine, having a conversation. Um, but it's more theatre. Yeah, yeah. And it's not helping the actual, the sort of essence of the story because yeah. the writer's written in beats and changes and shifts in tone and shifts in yeah. intention that if you don't then play them, you, you can't just... You can't just think, I'll play it naturalistically and get away with it. It's yeah. like, there is actually technical work that goes into it. There has it. to be technical work in theatre. And actually having this conversation now has made me think, you know, that, that as I say, I used to just think that TV acting was acting. If you saw a TV actor on stage doing TV acting, that was real acting. And that's <laughs> yeah, what yeah. I tried to do as well for quite a long time. Which wasn't always unsuccessful. I mean, it was, it was always fine to good. You're also a natural show off anyway. So if there's going to be an audience there, I they're mean, like... Yeah, yeah. You're not going to be able to just play it as if it's TV. Correct. <laughs> but um, I think that I, what, what I didn't realise at the time was that when you get behind the camera, and everyone's doing that thing that's like this, and everyone's like, mm. fucking hear each other for a start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but like everyone's doing that, you then forget that in an editing process, what, what, like, they're adding in direction after you've even acted. Yeah, yeah. Like they're adding in how the audience should be feeling by doing a sharp cut or an interesting edit or having a new mise-en-scene or like the cinematography of it or whatever. They're telling a story without you. But in theatre, it's up to you to tell that story and you are on your own with a set and whatever. So actually, you've got to, you've got to use more of yourself because there is ultimately less that, less that goes into it. Yeah. Does that make sense? I think so, yeah. Okay, good. I think that's good. That was one good thing. Well done, Polly Finlay. Really yeah. enjoyed it. Go and see Beginning. It's until the 14th of November. Should we do the big Q? It's time for the big Q. Yes. So, it's really hard to know where to start uh, with the big Q this week because it has been a huge topic of conversation over weeks now. And it all started with the Harvey Weinstein allegations, which... Uh, Ellison, you know, living on Mars or in a cave, has to do with sexual harassment in the workplace. Uh, in this instance, Hollywood, but now it's it's become a huge, huge campaign to uh, to do to do with women and men in the workplace and the treatment of women and sexual harassment and power being used against women uh, in the workplace and. I think it's not limited to the workplace as well. It's not. No, I don't oh, I think thought so. It was actually. Oh, really? Well, let's let's just say that within the, sure, the sure, topic sure. of the big Q, that's what we're talking about. Yep, yep. Um, and it, the actress Alyssa Milano has uh, instigated a campaign on Twitter hashtag Me Too that you know a bit about. Yeah, just that um, she had collaborated with Tarana Burke, who ran this uh, Just Be Inc. non-profit organisation. Um, and they sort of uh, uh, apparently collaborated in order to popularise a thing that Tarana Burke came up with originally. In She's 2007, oh, wasn't in it? two thousand and seven. Yeah, she was a, a woman of colour running this thing. Um, I know there was some sort of criticism about yeah. Alyssa Milano taking this on, but apparently yeah, yeah, yeah. there was collaboration. Anyway, Alyssa Milano on Sunday night, um, not not on Sunday night, on a Sunday night. It was weeks ago now, but she uh, she said. Hashtag me too. A friend suggested to her that if every single woman that had experienced that kind of oppression or um, harassment in the workplace, hashtag me too, they'd get an idea of the kind of multitude of, of people it's affecting. 
And by Monday night, more than 53,000 people had left comments and thousands of women shared their stories of rape, sexual assault and harassment on social media, including actors like America Forever, Anna Paquin, Lady Gaga, Rosario Dawson, Deborah Messing. And that was just like overnight. And now, as we know, it's completely swept social media. I mean, it's everywhere. Um, hashtag Me Too is being used and it, it, it's, being, it's being adopted by anyone who has ever felt oppressed or undermined in their in their lives and I, I, it's, it's, it's going to be hard to talk about this um, because it's it's covers such a breadth of information so we thought we'd take an angle on it really and ask the big Q which today is why has it been difficult for people to come forward in the wake of lots and lots of people coming forward about and sharing their stories why Kind of why now, I suppose. Why now? It? That's it. And why did it take um, one person to come forward and, and then other people come forward? In the same way that, like, a lot of people get criticism for doing this, you know, because whenever a huge story occurs, there was Bill Cosby when suddenly there were mm-hmm. 13 women also, I think, that came forward on that case and they got a lot of criticism. And then, of course, like. Yep. Donald you know, Trump? Donald Trump. I mean, For God's sake. I mean, there was a lot of criticism by, I remember when all the people came up, uh, Bill Cosby, Whoopi Goldberg on uh, American TV said in their version of Loose Women, like, it's hard to believe women that come forward only in the wake of other people coming forward. And it's like, you know, to a certain extent that's her opinion and you... Not one that we have to respect. Not one that we have to respect, but it is an opinion and it is a, is a school of thought by quite a lot of people. So we thought that today on the big queue we would consider the reasons why it is difficult for people to come forward yes um as part of the me too campaign now this i should say doesn't necessarily have to do with people who are weak (laughs) or people who are scared or any of these other things you know even though they are like all the scared i'm not not weak it's not weak to not do that but scared it, it that is obviously a huge factor that's how people are characterized as well by that is how people are characterized by dickheads by the kids, yeah. Um, what, weak and scared or just weak? Uh, scared? We can, I, I, could, I would own that. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, maybe. Definitely weak, but I mean, maybe even scared as well, because, yeah, certainly don't want to delegitimise the fear, but I suppose saying scared doesn't do that. So, no, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. Um, so, let's, we'll start with scared. People are scared to do it. Yeah. Um, and that has to do with and, and the people who are who are doing it, who are the perpetrators of this, Harvey Weinstein, Max Stafford Clark, who obviously just came out the last week, um, they know they're in positions of power. And so they they feel untouchable. And society tells them that they are untouchable because they are uh, white straight men in power. Um, and as such can do what they want. Now the fear from women in that position, or men in that position, who are presumably also incredibly undermined possibly harassed we, we don't really know about that at the minute it's not something that it's it, this me too campaign is really focusing on um but i'm sure that men have come out and said that they haven't they have a story about me too anyway for the purposes of this i'll just say that women that starting their careers uh are frightened you know and it, there is a pattern of them being women at the start of their careers um who are hopeful and optimistic about their journey through the industry uh have been very made very aware that they're on the bottom of a rung which we all are made aware of when we leave drama school or we start our career we're at the bottom and we have to work our way up that's just how it is like that's that's just what it is and there are stories um like it or not i mean this is this is really dark what i'm about to say but there are stories and there is a culture when we start in the industry about people who've become big successes from stuff like the casting couch and people who've just shut up and taken it and now they're stars and it's scary and confusing and difficult when when you leave drama school or when you're young you really believe that all you want in your life and what will make you happy is an amazing career and so you're scared to to uh perhaps damage your chances of that by saying no to someone who could so easily help you. Yeah, absolutely. And on that, Erica Wyman, the Deputy Artistic Director of the RSE. Who was a legend, by the way. I worked with earlier on this year. She wrote a great bit in the stage um, where it says, uh, 
I know that our exceptionally competitive industry, and this it shares with the excesses of Hollywood, fosters a keen impression that troublemakers, in inverted commas, will be punished. Yeah. That those who speak out are most likely to be the ones that don't work again. And those who perpetrate abuses of power, sexual or otherwise, will be rewarded with continued success, high office, and most importantly, financial security. Well, that's it. And that's just it. I mean, it, yeah. So that's, that's, that's one main thing. That's beautifully summed up by Erica there. Yeah. Um, it's fear. Fearful, especially young people. Oh, absolutely. I think we covered that. What do you think? Yeah. Second one? Another potential reason that people are, are, that people don't want to come out. Um, I don't know. I mean, I I feel like that is the that is the main one, and it, it covers so much, it? like you said, and, and like Erica um, said in that article, way more than just sexual harassment. It also covers it's kind of general abuse of power and intimidation. That's it. And. It's, yeah. it's, it's intimidation um, that I think I my experience resonates most with. Well, just before we were talking, uh, just before we did the podcast, we were talking about you and your experience of Me Too, and if you don't mind saying about that again, that your original yeah. thought was, oh, I haven't really experienced well, that. Well, that is a second one then. In yeah, that. okay, okay, yeah, great. This hasn't got to do with, with fear. This is, if we're going to my personal experience, mm. I would say the second point is um, uh, confusion, mm-hmm. which is what I would say that I was uh, I was affected by. Is it affected the right way? I'm not really sure, but anyway, I was really confused um, about what constituted being part of the Me Too campaign. And I have never felt uh, sexually threatened by, or I had never felt sexually threatened by anyone in the industry. That goes, you know, and I just assume that's because I've just worked with a fucking shitload of legends, um, which I have done. Uh, However, the more that I started thinking about stuff and the more that I... um, thought about people's stories and people that were sharing stuff, which is why the hashtag MeToo campaign, like it or not, is a great testament to what the power of social media can do, Um, is that the more I thought about it, the more I was like, oh, actually, um, I mistook... I I can think of examples of my own experiences that are exactly the same as someone that's using a hashtag MeToo and that someone at that time felt um, undervalued, intimidated, or afraid about. And at that time, I either ignored or I chose to... uh, I I, not chose to, I I was really naive about. Mm -hmm. And I suddenly thought of things that people had said to me that I was just confused by at the time and that I couldn't put my feelings down to a specific thing like being intimidated or being sad or scared or um, threatened by. I just was a bit like, well, that's weird. But then life moves quickly, you know, you just keep going, especially, you know, when you've got a lot to think about. So I'm and, and in the rehearsal room, you know, there's things that you need to be getting on with. So I've, you know, I've been... Uh, called stuff in a rehearsal room or uh, been treated differently to other people in a rehearsal room or patronised to do with my age and sex in a rehearsal room. And it's only because of the hashtag MeToo campaign that I suddenly remembered specific isolated incidents and I went, oh, I did feel in that moment like someone had pulled the rug out from under me or I did feel in that moment like my whole body had gone cold and I was I wanted to cry because I was so embarrassed but then like I say it just moved on and I forgot about it and I was just confused by that feeling in that moment at that time but when you're in a rehearsal room it's really easy to just be in the moment because you've got a lot to think about and so it was only at that point that I suddenly was like, oh, right, yeah, I, I have been intimidated and it was because of uh, the sum of my parts, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so, yeah, it, it is totally pertinent to me, but I was confused as to the kind of... No one's ever um, asked me to give them a massage and <laughs> no one's ever suggested to me that if I had sex with them then I would get a part or, or a career. 
So um, they may have done it jokingly, which I'm not sure is. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, even now, like you can even hear me. I sound like a bit of a mess. Like even now, I I don't know whether that's uh, that was a joke or what. It was a joke, but is that joke okay? Don't know. Probably, am I? Am no. I really, probably not. No. no. But am I really sensitive? Like I'm someone who's when someone's in a position of power like that. I think that's sort of the key thing, isn't it? But are they being? But are they powerful? Uh, because they're like even if I didn't view them as more powerful than me, like it wasn't like it was wasn't ever anyone that was like hugely influential or massive because I've been lucky enough to work with people who are in positions above me for the most part that are very respectful and just you know really cool this is number three Mm -hmm. we've moved on quite swiftly and and rather beautifully to to point three which is that people don't want to come out because uh, they don't want to be the person that says to someone I didn't like that because you don't want yeah. to not be a legend, do you know what I mean? Like yeah, people yeah, are having yeah, banter yeah. and people um people are um are chatting. Banter's weird because it's Donald Trump slang, isn't it, and whatever. Mm-hmm. But like, so I don't really like it. But I think we we all know what it means, and we all know when it is that and when it isn't that. And Donald Trump isn't that. Um, but we all sort of know what what I'm saying. So I'll that's why I'll justify using it in this situation. But um, you don't want to be the person that doesn't find it appropriate all the time. Yeah. And I don't want to be that person. And I have seen people go up to very strong people, say to someone, can I have a chat with you? Mm. And then go off and and I've known that they're saying, I don't find that appropriate, please don't do it again. And then the, you know, the performances or the rehearsal or the production goes on normally and it's, and the show still goes on and it's exactly the same. And for some reason, I feel as though, whether that's my anxieties or whatever concerning this topic, mm-hmm. I feel as though if I was to go to someone, can I have a talk with you? I didn't like what you said then and I prefer you didn't do it again. I feel as if that would be like an, an irreconcilable problem then in a rehearsal room like you were being a killjoy and you were yeah spoiling their fun yeah yeah yeah. but like i i I think i don't i can't i can't be fun Mm. well that's why i think things like the me too campaign are so useful is because it just goes it's a kind of show of solidarity and it's making these conversations happen bloody hell yeah so if we make those happen so that that's just taken a little bit more seriously. I mean, there's so much to be done and it's sort of difficult to know what to say because you're like, oh God, there's the amount that men have to do, obviously, is everything. And I think this is why the Me Too campaign is so good is because it's the biggest wake-up call to men to just go like, look at your behaviour. It certainly has for me where I'm just going like, Jesus Christ, like what are the, what are the relationships that I've had with like I don't know do you know what I mean it just makes you sort of consider everything and for for someone like I I do this great men volunteering and stuff like that and Mm -hmm. so I'm feel like I'm pretty aware of this and yet when something like this happens you're just like I you know I'll reel off these statistics to the boys at school like one in one in three girls in school experience unwanted sexual touching all this sort of stuff and yet I'm still bowled over by the amount of like sort of every woman saying something yeah um and well yeah we've got to have these like men have to have these conversations and it's amazing that women women are the ones starting them <laughs> like they've yeah. started the conversations but then we've got to, we've got to have them and we have to change our collective behavior um and that means a lot of generosity from like it's a generous act you you doing something like saying hey can i have a word it is a generous act because you're letting someone know like hey i'm giving you the benefit of the doubt that you don't know how this makes me feel yeah good point um so it is it is generous and then it's up to them how they take it but yeah it's just it's horrifying to be perfectly honest to see what kind of the results of patriarchy really i'm gonna go back on track really quickly yeah. No, I've got a fourth one. Oh, Why yeah. people don't want to come forward. Mm-hmm. And that is because um, there is a there's a weird thing with social media. 
where people and I did this so this is why I feel like I can I can talk about it mm-hmm. I don't like being part of social media campaigns I don't know why I don't like it I find it gross um, <laughs> I, I find the whole thing a bit oh look at me um, I have never really liked them very much like just even stuff like I know this is going to make me sound like such a twat but I'm going to say it um, the ice bucket challenge and that sort of stuff like I hated it I loved it oh see like I just thought it was so grim like I was like oh yeah, big deal big work whatever just give the money to charity whatever um, even knowing how much money it raised for the charity like I'm so, I, I can be a, I can be a bit, bit of a dick like that sometimes you know or like you know the uh, the Shakespeare one where people had to do their Shakespeare again I loved it yeah like I just don't know why like I just feel like I'm I don't know why I feel like I'm slightly above these things I'm, I'm definitely not like I'm at the time, I'm just like, oh, God, it's said minning, but actually, I'm the one who's missing out because I'm not having fun. Um, so that kind of thing, the social media campaign aspect of it, I'm just a bit like, it feels like a bandwagon that I can't really be asked to get involved with because I don't want the judgment of being a part of that crowd. Um, and I don't want to necessarily associate myself with everyone and people who are abusing it sometimes or people who... Maybe that's to do with a little bit with... So there's one post I saw... A, a, a me too one and some f- fucking piece of shit put on there um a kind of warning sign with like virtue signaling in process and for anyone who doesn't know about virtue signaling it's a thing that the alt-right who are just neo-nazis really um a thing that they say uh, i think that they coined to say about liberals talking talking the talk on social media about um, social justice mm-hmm. um, issues um, just so that they can show how woke they are and how great they are kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and someone put that on one of these and it was just, uh, I, I mean, yeah, it just makes me livid. Oh, because yeah. I, but I wonder if a little bit of the, I'm totally not saying that you are this no, as well, no, but, but there is a little bit of that that, we might worry that people are going to th- judge us for going... So, number five is... No, number four is actually judgment. No, number four was not wanting to be a part of that crowd. Number five is judgment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Judgment is, is, is big. You're absolutely right. And it's, I think... And that's different to fear. Yeah. Because then it means it's going... People worrying about whether they put Me Too stuff. And this was the same for everyday sexism. It was why that was like... Uh, like a good campaign um, back then. Again, like much criticised, but you know, the revolution, if we waited for the perfect revolution, then nothing would ever happen. Um, But people thinking, ah, it's not really, it's not as bad as other people's stuff. I don't really count. It wasn't a real me too. I I couldn't do a real me too. I did a me too and I had to justify it. I thought I had to justify it. Yeah. And then someone literally went, you don't have to justify this. Yeah. Brilliant. She smashed that. Pull me out. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing is that part of it is to just go, uh, yeah, show how endemic this is, and it's um uh, absolutely horrifying, and it should make us really think about how we're gonna change the world, like uh, and our personal relationships and our institutions, which is why your Erica Wymans and your Vicky Featherstones are yeah. smashing it for that. Like last year, Vicky Featherston had a big meeting with everyone at the Royal Court and she's I've only heard this from um, people who've people who've worked there in the last um, how many years but she's really good at being inclusive with the whole building so ushers people who work in box office everyone came together and they talked about a code of conduct for sexual harassment type stuff and it was in order to get rid of the grey areas Erica did that too amazing oh yeah their respect yeah yeah um, Amazing. And those things of getting rid of those grey areas, it it does really make you think diversity. This is why it's it's actually an it's almost like an issue of safety rather than just a sort of virtue signalling thing like um pieces of shit might like to say. Um but diversity is important because is it any wonder that these codes of conduct are being brought in when there are women who are interested in helping with these sort of things are in positions of significant power mm-hmm. of's not <laughs> so it makes you think as well that you know we've got a problem with race we've got a problem with class that all of these things and that's not to take away from 
what we're talking about now, but it just goes to show that like diversity is actually really fucking important and is almost an issue of safety because we could get rid of a whole lot of uh with the gray areas and they've they've literally got a an event on saturday yeah. 28th of october at the royal court called no gray area it's a free free event and it's for people to share stories of, of um abuses of power to do with sexual harassment or i think or otherwise um in the theater industry and it's completely sold out even though as i say it's free um but it's just you know these big conversations are being started at places where women are at the helm. That's not to say that men can't do this, but the initiative is often not there. Because why would it be? Like, you know, like we said, like, I'm horrified by the amount of, uh, by how endemic this is. And I, I feel like I know about it. And so for some other person who maybe doesn't, doesn't care for whatever reason, um, why would they be interested? Whereas, you know, if you're a woman, it's clearly... I mean, we all know there's stuff going on in the industry at the moment that could be brought to light if any single one of us, especially knowing what we know now, that, like, you know, no one has to be in a position of great power or um, public eye to, to come out with and it be taken seriously. Yeah. But I should say that nothing has ever happened to me personally, which is why we are not outing <laughs> the people that we're talking about on this podcast. Um, but... There are there are people within the industry, very well known indeed, who have many many stories surrounding them of a sexual nature and yeah. a sort of bastard nature. But despite this being, we hope a a candid podcast, it's it's not really up to us to do that because we've got no proof and it's it's you know it didn't happen to us and stuff. So it's it didn't happen to I us. and and again like if. If anyone wants to criticise us for that, please do. Yeah, we're, we we, we want to hear why we should be doing it. But, like, the, um, I heard from someone the other day, I don't know if this is actually true, but apparently the only reason the Harvey Weinstein stuff came out was because uh, Bob Weinstein, his brother, wanted to get rid of him and had all this, sh- this shit on him. Wow. Um, that it wasn't the women themselves that who, you know, the allegations okay. had come out. The allegations had come out already. Yeah, and the same uh-huh. same with Donald Trump as well. Yeah. That you're just like so it took it took a man wanting to exert some power. Appar- obviously this is apparently, but it sounds true, <laughs> even yeah, if it's, it's even if it's not. Certainly feasible, isn't it? And it just is pretty horrifying. And hopefully, with this Me Too stuff, that then just means that we take this stuff for, like more seriously. Yeah. And and we can only hope because yeah. if that is true. But Bob Weinstein, that is really depressing. <laughs> it is, but, but it could be hope. it could be the catalyst for significant change, and it seems to have been because yeah. you. Uh, and again, like, you, Vicky Featherstone's, she she was not she wasn't jumping on a bandwagon or uh, like, uh, as people might you know pieces of shit might like to mm-hmm. criticize. They did their their code of conduct thing that was agreed by everyone in the royal court. Um, I think it was last year or maybe the year before. Um, And these things have been going on and people have been aware and have been trying to do stuff. But hopefully this can be the catalyst to do even more and to help those people in in what they wanted to do. Um, So it's it's about institutional change. It's about interpersonal change. But it's massive. And I think that's what's so kind of horrifying is that it's like, God, we need so much change in the way that we think about everything. Must be a very confusing time to be a man at the moment. I've often thought that over the last few weeks. It must be a it, there must be a lot of second guessing happening at the moment as a guy and a lot of reflection. Certainly a lot of um a lot of reflection and just and thinking about your relationships with your friends. But I mean that's exactly why this is great, is because yeah. it's um yeah, we've we've just got to change the world. Well, listen, to go back to our point yeah. of why people aren't coming out, the thing that is hopeful about the hashtag MeToo campaign, and I should say, even though I didn't want to get on board with it, and I'm, you know, massively, whatever, pretentious, and didn't want to get on 
didn't want to get on the bus with it all. I did anyway, because I just suddenly had a moment of, oh, get over yourself. And all it took was that split second for me to just go, oh, actually, it doesn't really matter. I can just put this and it's just, it's just a bit of solidarity, isn't it? Just sort of do that, I would say, because actually when all said and done, it's, it's a really, really small thing, but it is proving to count. So sort of don't worry and and who cares about judgment if you've ever felt undermined then it, then it's completely valid that's what i would say also this royal court initiative on saturday that we touched on you know it's it is sold out but they are encouraging anyone who's got any kind of story to come forward about yeah post it online um and to post it online i think you can go to the royal court website yeah that's right and find that so if you've had if you've got anything any experience big or small it's what they want to hear they want to hear the small stuff not just the the huge stories which are obviously you know goes without saying valid and relevant but it's the small stuff that just goes to show how actually that does have an impact too um so go onto the vocal website yeah and you anonymously or otherwise yes. as well yeah i think that's it isn't it yeah i think so it's, it's pretty massive isn't it it's and i huge. imagine we'll be doing more more on it yeah yeah we've tried to streamline it ever so slightly but you know if if you want to make a suggestion for a big queue or for us to consider anything then please do get in touch with us thetheatrelegends at gmail.com that was a big queue and now it's time for the end of the podcast do I have to do this now after that? yeah butt plugs just get it over with good point so coming up we've got Romantics Anonymous at the Sam Wanamaker Playhouse Sam Wanamaker Playhouse Sam Wanamaker Playhouse um Adapted by Emma Rice from the French Belgian film Les Emotifs. Les Emotifs? Les Emotifs. No, Les Emotifs Anonymes. With lyrics and music by Christopher Diamond. Diamond. I just read Diamond because I always read. I love that you said Diamond Diamond as well. Diamond. Diamond. Yeah, I think a little bit. It's Chris Diamond. (laughs) So it's not But I always seek out the fabulous in the mundane. Yeah. And Michael Cooper. Not that your name is mundane. Nah, Dimmond. It's not Diamond though, is it? This uh, new no. musical promises to be a treat for all the senses. Filled with the joy and pain it takes to survive love in the modern world. This is a tale that will lift any heart. Actually, it's rather sweet. Mm. And I like the um, like the poster for it too, which you can't see. Yes. It's podcast, but it's rather sweet. It looks good that I've seen it on the tube, I think. Yes, me too. The tube. Next up, we've got The Slaves of Solitude mm. at Hampstead Theatre. Um, uh, previews from 20th of October. So when, when I'm synonymous, did I? What's that? I didn't say one of Romantics Anonymous previous Oh, yeah. Previous from Friday the 20th of October, and it opens Friday the 27th of October 2017. So that was Romantics Anonymous, but this one, The Slaves of Solitude... Yeah, that one also (laughs) previews from uh, the 20th, and um, then opens... I mean, it's weird saying opens, isn't it? Because it's like, well, you've opened, haven't you? But you're just doing previews that you did. Oh, you don't want anyone to judge you. Well, as I carry on with my career, I do realise how much changes during previews. So actually, if you want to see the show... Um, as someone's happy with it, don't go to a preview. Yeah. I made they, that mistake now. They should do much, like, much more reduced tickets, shouldn't maybe they? Maybe they should just, yeah, yeah, it should be much more reduced, because is, it is a different show in many instances. Or maybe just have uh, more rehearsal and less preview. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so then it opens Monday the 30th of October. Uh, and The Slaves of Solitude is Nicholas Wright's new play, which weaves a fantastic, Brilliant. Which weaves a fascinating <laughs> blend of dark hilarity. You fantastical, aren't you? Fantastical. So it weaves a fascinating blend of dark hilarity and melancholy from Pat. Oh, nailing this. <laughs> Patrick Hamilton's much loved story about an improbable heroine in wartime Britain. Lovely. Great. Yeah, well done, we got through it. Yeah. And then finally, Mother Courage and her children. It's going to be on the Southwark Playhouse and it previews from Thursday the 2nd of November and opens Monday the 6th of November. So, go and see it. And her children. Mother Courage and her children. It's submitted by Hannah Chiswick, returning to Southwark Playhouse as the success of the musical Sideshow, which is apparently very good. And it's produced by Daniel Sorrento, whose recent success at the same venue included the UK premieres of Grey Gardens. So this is a this is a team that are more accustomed to dealing with musicals. Oh. Daniel Sorrento, um, also producing Titanic the musical. Uh, which was a one good thing at one point, quite a long time ago. Mm. I think this pop up's quite a long time. Yes. Um, but the two of them are more accustomed to doing musicals, so obviously Mother Courage and her children, you expect it to be, the production itself to be well considered, as musicals often are. Mm. Starring uh, Josie Lawrence of Have I Got News For You, Faye? Hello. No, not Have I Got News For um, You, who's on Is It Anyway? Yeah, yeah. Which is even better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> who's on Is It Anyway, Faye? Very good. 
And that runs, oh, I've already said that. God! It's because we've spoken so long today yeah. about many things. It's all a bit deep. But anyway, that's the end of the podcast. Did you have a nice time? Yes, I had a nice time. One last shout out as well God, for the No Grey Area um, event yeah. at the Royal Court. It's it's on on Saturday, this coming Saturday, the 28th of October. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. But, but I mean, it, that doesn't matter because it's sold out anyway. But if you, if you want to write in... Um, then yeah, just go on the Royal Court website. Absolutely, or follow the Royal Court on Twitter. You never know who can't make it, and who wants, yeah. you know, because it's going to be a, a, an event they want to be full. So follow the Royal Court on Twitter, um, or just get in touch with them on the day and see if there's anyone who has dropped out if you feel passionately about it and want to attend. Absolutely, but yes. So I thought I thought that was good. How was it for you? Yeah, it was good. It was good. We had to have a little break, didn't we? Because it, it got a bit intense, but um, mm. but it's good. Mm. Had a nice time. Very good. Woo! Yeah. Lots of love. On to the next one. Bye. Love you. Bye.